It's October 23rd at London's Roundhouse Concert Hall. It's a packed 3,000-plus capacity venue, but the people aren't here to see a top British act. They're here to see a Finnish rapper. A year ago, most people here didn't even know his name. Now they've lined up around the block to see him in person. Grown men and teen girls alike are pushing to the front. They want to be as close as possible. At the start of the year, he was a goofy outsider in Finland's national selection, Uden Musiken Kilpalu. I'm Karia. I'm a UMK artist. And my song, it's crazy. It's crazy. And it's party. <laughs> And it took people a bit of time to figure out who he was. So moving on now to Kuma and Cha Cha Cha. Try to say, Gary. Try to say, Gary. Yeah. Oh, very good. All right. Sounds like a hot mess. Cannot wait. I'm just a normal guy from Finland. <laughs> but the Finns caught on to the momentum early when he won UMK. And just a few months later, in Liverpool, he charmed Europe too. 376 points! We have a new leader! This is the story of what really happened at Eurovision. Hey, you guys, it's William Carling from WeWe Vlogs. And it's Freddie here too. And as you know, Finland's national selection for Eurovision 2024 is in its final weeks of preparations. And in just a few days, we'll finally know who's on the shortlist to represent the country in Malmö in May. But it's going to be hard to top last year's effort. The man in the green bolero who stormed the stage with his pallet box and pink cha-cha-cha dancers. <laughs> yep, Jere Puhinen, aka Karia, took Finland from dark horses to European favorites, winning the public vote in a landslide. It was so close, but the David versus Goliath moment for Finland was not to be, as their arch rival Sweden swept to victory with a landslide from industry professionals. We have a winner! Sweden! You have won the Eurovision Song Contest 2023! Congratulations to Noreen! Now on paper, the Nordic Novelty Act didn't really sound like it could compete with the likes of Eurovision giant Loreen. Yeah, someone who'd already won the competition before and was hugely popular within the Eurovision fan base and had already made a dent outside of it too. So Freddie, how did the country that thinks of itself as the underdog almost prize the microphone-shaped crystal trophy from Sweden's hands? I had never heard of this guy before. Um, and he walks in um, in a yellow jacket. And he's he's basically like, he only has like a jacket. He doesn't have a shirt or anything underneath. And it's, you know, it's like, you know, kind of a, kind of a chilly September day. And it's like 9 a.m. And, you know, a corporate broadcaster office <laughs> in Helsinki. And he just comes in and we're like, oh, oh this guy is interesting. This is Finland's assistant head of delegation, Mati Muluaho, describing the moment he came across Karia. But we'll get to him shortly. Karia had walked in to present his song, Cha Cha Cha. Now, originally, it was called Mr. Cha Cha. Here's Kiro, who co-wrote the song with him. 
the very beginning, the first thing, the first element on the song was the synth riff, you know, that And we talked about different like themes and what I remember was that the first title was Mr. Chacha. And it talked about becoming the Mr. Chacha, you know? Because, you know, here in Finland, we're kind of quiet and not that, how would I say, not that, you know, not that open to people. The first version of the song was about a man named Mr. Chacha who brought the party with him. But while watching the World Hockey Championships with his producer, Garia decided it was the perfect candidate song for UMK. So they rewrote those lyrics in half an hour in a bar after the match. Kiro told us the song represented the Finnish mentality in a way that had not been seen on the Eurovision stage. The song was about like that, like the quiet, shy, traditional Finnish, Finnish guy becoming the Mr. Chacha, you know, who has the courage to dance and party and, you know, just like feel emotions, etc. you know. The theme is the same still, right? But somewhere it changed to doing things like cha-cha-cha, you know. Instrumentally, I remember the synth riff, that was the first one, and then we had the because it was like, dee, 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 and then we had the cha, 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 you know, like the same rhythm. It had like a few different versions and the weird structure where we, it kind of combines like two songs, right? I remember when uh, Alwen Yera got the idea of doing that like 50 50, you know, and I was like, I'm pretty scared that won't work because, you know, that's not traditional, right? Right. But I'm super happy that they talked me into it because, you know, it creates the story like instrumental wise, you know? Yeah. Because we have the lyrics which talk about a man going to a different dimension with like with himself. It's like uh, the same with the instrumental now, right. which is like kind of never seen before, <laughs> at least in Eurovision. Now with that iconic cha. Cha, 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 cha. This is where Matty comes in. We are here with Matty in the studio. Matty, hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Well, we want to start with a pretty hard question. Is Erica Vickman back at UMK? <laughs> Thankfully, this is a podcast, so viewers won't see my facial expressions. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, we're focusing a lot on last year before we start hounding you for UMK 2024 questions. But... um. Could you just explain to our listeners who you are, your role at UMK, and maybe how you actually got into it itself? So I am a show producer at YLE, the Finnish broadcaster, including UMK and Eurovision. And uh, also in Eurovision, I'm the assistant head of delegation for Finland every year. And kind of surprisingly, I also danced in <laughs> Finland's number this year in Cha 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 in Liverpool. I've been like a pop culture entertainment nerd since I was a teenager. Uh, in university in Sweden, I started <clears throat> basically um, working on the side of my studies in in music and uh, in uh, yeah entertainment. And then I was in LA working for the Finnish embassy in Los Angeles, and um, I did a project for Wiley. And I got to know my current boss, Ansi, there. And when COVID hit and I came to Finland with like a five days notice, 
Um, I was like, okay, I'm unemployed. I need to do something. And I kind of just like perfectly, perfect timing. I got a call from Mansi, like, like, would you be interested in working with us? So basically what We're happened. so glad you did. We are so <laughs> glad you did. And a little jealous too. Before we rewind though, let's just quickly touch on the dance auditions because you've been auditioning dancers for UMK. How is that going? Are you done? I mean, we have amazing dancers in Finland, really talented. We had the audition a week ago. And um, there were a lot of dancers who I've never even seen before. I was like, who, who is this person? Who, who is that? Oh, my God, so much talent. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about that. Most likely, I will not be dancing myself in UMK this year, though. I'm, I'm pretty busy with <laughs> making it all happen with, with the production side. Um, but, but let's see. But let's see. But, yeah, definitely uh, we have a lot of good dancers in Finland so I think it makes sense for is myself it? not to be there all the time <laughs> sure is it going to be kind of rounds of auditions have you decided on who you're taking well right now we're still in, in progress with everything so we haven't booked anyone yet were kind of these kind of young dancers were they driven by this year's Eurovision what was the vibe what you were getting from these people I think I'm sensing that kind of this this um, Eurovision can you call it a phenomenon maybe um and what we got to go through as dancers as well i think i think it has definitely kind of shown uh dancers what the profession of a dancer can be i mean not not talking about like crawling on the floor with the artist like riding on your back i mean that's one thing but i don't i don't mean that but in general like how we can almost be like band members in a sense so um i i hope that has kind of shown what what the profession can be too yeah so let's rewind now you're talking into a green mic so it's only appropriate <laughs> that we talk about last year's umk which really kind of was the latest iteration of the evolution of umk it's always been good but it really went up last year and you discovered a certain finnish rapper <laughs> named karia could you tell us about that meeting when you heard the song and then when you actually met the singer Wow. So it was like September 2022 when we had the casting meetings for artists. And I had never heard of this guy before. Um, and he walks in um, in a yellow jacket. And he's he's basically like he only has like a jacket. He doesn't have a shirt or anything underneath. And it's, you know, it's like, you know, kind of a, kind of a chilly September day. And it's like 9 a.m. And, you know, a corporate broadcaster office <laughs> in Helsinki. And he just comes in and we're like, oh, oh this guy is interesting. And um, I very vividly remember that that meeting and how, you know, it was clear how sort of he was so open and authentic in the sense that, he he had no filter like and in in a very sort of charming way uh, once we casted him kind of everything just started we started shooting music videos and designing the live performances and you know you're in this sort of focused bubble for such a long time that you know it's hard to really think anything else than just like okay let's just make everything as good as possible and and um, then when we release everything, we're just like, fingers crossed, people mm -hmm. like it. So because you're in this bubble, it wasn't this kind of immediate, oh, my God, we've stumbled across this, like, wonderkind child. Well, I think as production, we we the way we work is that we work equally hard for everyone. And, and we spend equal amount of hours trying to make everyone's music videos and performances and all the other content. 
uh, as good as possible. So I no, I don't think at least personally I wasn't like, oh my god, this is you know a winner because you are trying to make everyone a possible winner, you know. Um, but of course, then you know once the songs are out and you follow people's reactions, including your reaction videos at vivivlogs.com, <laughs> um, you know you can get some you know implication like what resonates. But but no, it's I mean I personally can't say that I immediately was like. This guy is gonna be, you know, a, a, green, a green bolero is gonna be on, uh, you know, on every statue in Finland, <laughs> and mm. and you know all the things that followed. Now we don't speak Finnish, but when we hear Karia speak English, we say, "Oh, he's so sweet. He's quite, you know, honest, very sincere." For someone who speaks, you know, native Finnish, is that a similar vibe? Does that come across in Finnish as well? Uh, yeah, I think so. Cute sincere i i think so yeah and it's it's just so funny like when we had because we, we work with a swedish creative uh called bank Gerudman, who's been part of uh, our creative team now for a couple of years in umk new Eurovision. and so we uh, we have a lot of our meetings in english and so very early on he had to start speaking english to us and <laughs> and it, like you know there have been some like conspiracy theories about like oh is he faking an accent and Is, is this just a character? But I can assure you <laughs> that he did not speak English in those first meetings. Languagwe. Languagwe. So how did you kind of stumble across from the song Cha Cha Cha? How did you get from that to like palettes and a boxing ring for the music video, which turned into a big box? How did that come about? Well, we have a very um, crazy creative team. <laughs> I love them all. We, for example, we have, as mentioned, Benke from Sweden. Uh, we have Ari Levela, who's our visual designer. Uh, we have Reja Vare, who is our choreographer. Uh, Elias Koskimi is my dear, dear um, partner in crime. He's a show producer as tricky well. Tricky Nun. Yes, Tricky Nun. Shout out to Elias. Um, and um, Juhi Svalten, our camera director, and and our costume team, who obviously were a big part of the whole visual identity of this. We had meetings Uh, in October for each performance to kind of start brainstorming the concept for each uh, performance. Uh, the music videos kind of have a, like kind of almost like a separate production route where we have a separate director for that and everything. But I remember for the performance, the live performance, there was uh, a reference photo. I can't remember who brought it on the table, but it had like uh, a dog in it that had like uh, like a glittery color on it and we just loved this reference but and we were like okay what is it like how does this connect to everything and then then Ari our visual designer drew this kind of a demo photo of what it, what it could be on stage and that photo already had you know dancers on the floor uh, in these leashes and with with Garia standing in the middle um, and so that's kind of where it all started to progress. I was really curious. In the run-up to Liverpool, obviously, Lorraine had been chosen. You saw the dark performance. We get to Eurovision, and your performance, to me anyway, seemed brighter. It seemed to have even more movement. It all seemed to contrast with Lorraine darkness in one position. Was there a deliberate effort to kind of create more movement, to make it more colorful, to kind of be the opposite of her? I I think inevitably... Um, always these performances each year in Eurovision are like in conversation with each other a little bit but I don't think you should necessarily like try to force it in any way and, and so I don't I don't remember us being that deliberate about 
kind of being the opposite. But I mean, we in the pro- in the lead up to it, we were just all admiring Laurie, and we were like, "Wow, we're like, you know, getting to be in this together with someone like Laurie." And so, yeah. Talk us through how you got involved in dancing, because am I right in thinking you weren't originally going to be a dancer for it? So, what was the story behind you entering on on stage there? So, I am a professional dancer, and my work as a dancer and then my work as a producer have kind of gone in parallel for a long time. Uh, they haven't really sort of crossed that many times, just here and there. But I never thought they would cross in UMK because it, it is kind of a uh, you know, it's a lot of work already to work in the production side. And I didn't think it was like, you know, just realistic to be dancing as well. Uh, but then as we were building this performance, we were kind of struggling finding dancers who could uh, make the rehearsals and then also the show date. And then also dancers who had a background in ballroom and Latin um, and in sort of like the commercial TV performance context. So then our choreographer, Reya um, got one male dancer from the Netherlands, Jesse, who was an amazing dancer. Uh, and then we just couldn't find the other one. Uh, and then she was like, it's looking like Mati, you're going to have to do it. <laughs> what were you like? Yeah, fine, I'll step up. I was like, if you insist. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was like, I don't know, like time-wise, like time management-wise, how is this going to be possible? But uh we made it happen and we i mean we rehearsed the whole performance for umk very late like yes it flew in from the netherlands like a couple of days before uh and then we rehearsed it like you know in a couple of days i was not expecting this experience but i'm i'm so glad i got to do it you know often actually sort of the role as a dancer and as a producer they kind of made sense in the same place at the same time because like for example, in Eurovision, where there was a little malfunction with the set, you know, I happened to be already there on stage. Uh, or if there was a malfunction with, like, the in-ear and I was able to, you know, so it actually made a lot of sense. There was a lot of synergy there. Oh, my gosh. Have you, there'll be a new trend. Heads of delegations will be rolling up on stage <laughs> yeah. trying to dance. <laughs> but in Liverpool, you very much looked in your element. You know, we saw you on the stage, yes, but also... You know, you were at the Nordic party. You were at the, the Wee Wee uh, Lush Lounge Liverpool. You were around and about. Were you in your element? Did you feel comfortable going between the two roles and also being a fan in Liverpool? Oh, I, I'm like, I can say this. I'm a Eurovision fan for sure. Like, been for a long time. And just, you know, to get to be in that, you know, moment. I mean, you guys would know, you know, how magical it is every time in Eurovision. So just to be there and feel the sort of energy and the environment. I look forward to it so much. It's like the Christmas, basically, you know, every May. I will say, you know, doing both of these roles at the same time, I was I was just so, like, focused, and it was, like, a minute-by-minute schedule. And now, looking back, yeah, I remember a lot of it, and I have a beautiful memory of the two weeks in Liverpool. But there are a lot of, like, you know, kind of, like, blackout moments. I was like, I have no idea what happened that day because I was just like, next thing, next thing, next thing, to-do list, you know. Do you enjoy that pressure, say, in comparison when, when you had Kario, when he was obviously, you guys were obviously, like, topped to do very well. But then, you, or someone from, like, the year before when you had, like, Blind Channel or so, do you prefer that kind of moment where you feel like, you know, they're popular with people, but they're not necessarily top five. You can relax a little bit. What, what do you prefer? What's your favorite Eurovision style? I, I don't know. Were we favorites this year in the lead up? To yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 
I mean, it's always hard to know. Like, if I've learned something in the past couple of years, it's like you never know what's going to happen. Um, and that's sort of what I was trying to tell everyone, the performers as well, and, and Gary especially. Like, you know, it's a very unexpected game in the end. And and um, so I, I didn't feel like we had, like, this huge pressure. I think sometimes fans and journalists sort of view the production team as the therapist, the guard dogs, the security guard, get away from my artist, we gotta protect our singer. Because everyone wanted a piece of Karia, like everyone. Was the pressure a big issue? I mean, did it get to him and how did you sort of protect him from all that? I mean, I think it's always really important, like no matter who the artist is, that like their schedule uh, includes some sleep and recovery time. And especially when we're talking about artists who ultimately have to like, you know, perform and and focus on like their art. You know, with Gadia, he had already a tour leading up to Eurovision. He, you know, he was, as we were rehearsing during the spring, he would always either come from a gig or be on the way to a gig. Um, so definitely, you know, he was, I mean, it's no secret that he was quite tired when we got into uh, Liverpool. But I don't think the, like, favorite pressure got to him at all. I mean, they, honestly, like, there was such, like, a warm joyful environment all the time. Freddie, maybe you can... <laughs> I don't know if it's a secret that you were our delegation host, but <laughs> <laughs> but maybe you can, like, um, sort of... Yeah, maybe you saw that we were not, like, under pressure at all like that. No, you were a very, very happy team. I think, I think the... Um, we think of the pressure is just that you knew that everybody wanted a piece of him. Mm. And maybe not pressure because he was a favorite but maybe more pressure because there was so much interest around Carrier and Finland this year that that must have been kind of difficult for him Finland in general like if we're mentioned in the news like in the US we're like oh my god someone knows that we exist (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I think it was kind of the similar thing in Eurovision this year where we were like Oh, people really like us like that's really nice that's really cool (laughs) and so we were just like kind of in this little you know, a joyful bubble of like, we're doing a good job. <laughs> and you were definitely on the EBU's radar. And in fact, when the running order came out for the grand final, there were all these rumors and conspiracy theories that, oh, the EBU wants Finland to win because they've put Loreen earlier in the running order. What do you make of all this chatter? Do you think the EBU was pushing for a Finnish win? I mean, this is gonna sound gonna sound so boring to you guys, <laughs> but it's just like we do it in UMK. We, as a production team, like we truly work equally for everyone to then kind of just you know let the audience decide who wins. So I'm very convinced that that's um, what's happening at Eurovision too. Great, we put to bed the rumors. Yeah, they're <laughs> asleep now. In the aftermath of Lorene's win, one thing that surprised me. There was so much controversy because I was like, this is a great top three. All of these acts, you can understand why they got votes, some from jury, some from televote. Like, it just made sense. And it was close. It wasn't like it was a landslide win for Sweden. Finland could have won. What was your reaction after the result? Were you able to kind of view it even headedly, like calmly? Or were the passions very high initially? Like, what happened? Well, it's so funny because, like I mentioned, I I had been kind of being this party pooper or Debbie Downer in our delegation. I was like, everyone, like, we don't know what's going to happen. We could be, you know, like, you never know. And then, you know, we're in the room, um, in, in the green room, as they're kind of counting the jury points and everything. And I'm trying to, like, 
I'm sitting next to Gary and I'm trying to explain like how the point system works, right? Because, you know, he's not that familiar with Eurovision. So I was like, okay, after this and after this. Um, and, you know, I was just kind of trying to communicate that, you know, everything can still happen. And if you get zero points from this country, it doesn't mean anything. And you might get, you know, so I was trying to like explain that. Um, but then as the uh, popular vote, the televote came in, um, and the sort of insane amount of points that came in, I, I think we were just like over the moon about that moment. I think you can see that in the in the footage when when how we celebrate together. Uh, and then when the actual final points came in, and they announced Sweden as a winner, I think I think everyone individually kind of had their own emotions. Personally, of course, I was like, oh, it was so close, um, and. You know, I would have loved to work on Eurovision in Finland and, and so on and so on. But at the same time, it was also like, what just happened? Like, we won the televote. We came in second in Eurovision. Like, all of these things that, you know, I had no idea that were, you know, in the cards for us <laughs> um, going into Liverpool. So I was just, it, it was obviously like a weird mixture of feelings. And the, the debate around televote versus juries, have you got any particular opinion on it? Do you think it should change? Do you think there's room for discussions on it? I mean, I'm, I'm glad that there's discussion in general. Um, no, I, I think in UMK we have a really functioning uh, setup where we have uh, 25% of the total votes coming from the international juries and 75 from the from the televote. Um, so it works for us. Power to the people. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Just a quick one on Liverpool. Some other delegations told us they were unhappy with the sound mixing. Were you guys happy with the technical aspects of the show? Like I said, it's like an insane collaboration between so many people in Eurovision every year. And I'm just afraid, like, okay, if we have to host Eurovision one day, <laughs> like, <laughs> how are we going to make this happen? Um, no, I I have only love for the the British team and and the ebu for this year it was such joy actually they i mean the nature of this whole performance was that in every rehearsal in every show things happened <laughs> like it felt like every performance was different um especially watching through the footage from rehearsals you, you're just like oh well okay I, don't, I didn't even remember that that happened you know um, it was kind of a challenging show to do, um, so many moving pieces, and we had several stagehands as part of the performance, like, you know, helping with different things um, on stage with the props and and uh, a steady cam and everything. So it was a lot of traffic there. And actually, I have, like, a video that I got from the BBC, body cam footage from one of the stagehands. Uh, from the final performance and it shows like the set change and then the whole sort of journey that this one stagehand did during the performance and it's insane but things that went wrong hmm (laughs) (laughs) you know when you rehearse a thing in like in your own country first in the studio and you know with like demo sets and everything and then you come to Eurovision and you're actually on stage and you're like, oh, my God, this thing feels different. Oh, my God, that light is blinding me. And, and you know, I, I haven't gotten to experience that on stage before. I've just, you know, see, seen it from a different perspective. What we had was basically that the box um, that we had on stage as a set, we had one version for rehearsals in Finland. 
and then we had shipped another version to Liverpool. And so they were meant to be identical. But then once we got to Liverpool, I was like, oh, actually, this is a little bit different. And this door opens in a different angle. And, and you know, so it already got, it took some hours to like just be in the in the set department uh, in Liverpool and just kind of figure the set out. And and then in the first rehearsal, I don't know if anyone's seen this footage, hopefully not. <laughs> um, there's this, you know, these leashes that the dancers are attached to. And they just get like tangled up uh, and, you know, we have three runs in the first rehearsal. And every run, we were kind of struggling with uh, the leashes. And even in the second rehearsal, where you have, like, two or three runs again, I don't think we even had, like, one run where things didn't, like, get tangled up. We weren't really confident going into the dress rehearsals <laughs> after a rehearsal where, like, we were, like, basically just, like, stuck uh, in a leash. I will never forget the first dress rehearsal where there's audience when you start hearing like this just cheering off the audience already before you're on stage when they you know they announce they they, they show the postcard on on the screen and people start screaming and we're like okay oh my god are they screaming at us and then we go on stage and already during the set change i could i could feel like the cheering of the audience in my chest we have in-ears so you can't really hear the, the audience that well but i could i could feel the the loudness of the audience in my, in my in my body and it was like they kind of seem to like us <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but that was definitely a like a peak moment but no we had so many little challenges that we tackled together with with the british team as well and and in the live in the in the final in the grand final there was like a little string like a safety string for the door of the box so it doesn't like slam the the floor too hard and then one of the dancers, yes, I was like kind of supposed to be able to pull the string down so it's not in the way of, of Garia. But for some reason, the string was stuck in the box in the, in the grand final, of course. Um, and then um, as Garia comes down from the box and starts going around it, the string is there in his way. And it was, keep in mind, it had not been there ever before. Um, but if you look through closely the performance you can see that he kind of just like does like a little ninja move and so, yeah, avoids. <laughs> and so thanks to his quick reflexes we still have yeah. <laughs> Garia <laughs> <laughs> he's not beheaded <laughs> all this hype this was the most yeah it's fair to say that since Lordy's win this is the most people have talked about Finland at Eurovision definitely how do you build on that for UMK 24 do you feel immense pressure to match the hype and excitement of last year? Yes, I mean, I mean, we're aware definitely as a team in UMK that like we cannot recreate uh, this Garia phenomenon, um, but we're very focused on, yeah, kind of gathering all the ingredients and and kind of working really hard to be able to maybe have like a different kind of a phenomenon. Hopefully, you can only do so much to kind of create these momentums and snowball effects and. And so we're just, yeah, we're doing the best we can. And then hopefully something will happen next spring. <laughs> so we know you, you've got your artists selected, right? The songs too? Yes. Yeah. Are they, are they, are they artists originals? Have you done songwriting camps? Is there anything you can tell us? I actually have like an official teaser um, list, but I will read it so I don't reveal anything. Okay. Okay. This is, by the way, this is originally in Finnish and 
this is translated by Google Translate. <laughs> that will correct any spelling errors. Okay, this is the lineup in UMK. Are you ready? Oh my God. Let's do this. Among the finalists, we have a talented artist's first release that is a 90s style dance banger. A power song by a true vocal talent. Perhaps the best song of an indie favorite's career. Two big names doing a surprising duo with a banger hook. A thunderous rock anthem by a world touring band. A seriously intense song from one of the most listened to artists in Finland. And finally, a hard-hitting club banger by a well-known artist making a comeback. Erica Vickman, girl! Yes, is that you? No, that'll be Erica Vickman and Sarah Alto for the duo. Stay tuned. Is it safe to say that the quality this year is better than last year because hype encouraged more people to send in their best work? You know, I can definitely sense the increased interest in UMK among artists, songwriters, producers, labels. That's what I can say. But um, we have some questions from people on Instagram who are very excited to know that you're once again at the helm. This is Zimon Star 80. What lessons were learned in UMK 23 that will lead to changes in UMK 24? That's a good question. That is a question we've asked in our production meetings recently. <laughs> no, I mean, I think we have a whole different sort of journey ahead of us because we are taking UMK to a huge arena, mm. which, by the way, would have been most likely the the venue to host Eurovision in if we had one. So we're like... Wipes the tear. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. We're just like excited to you know, make a, almost like a wannabe Eurovision happen, you know. We're kind of facing with, uh, I mean, the unknown because we haven't done this before. You told us on the way up here, actually, that there were a few nerves about moving to this bigger venue and seeing if tickets would sell out. How did that go? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I think the, I, the tickets sold out in like 20 minutes or something. Um, we were, we had this little like situation room with our team when the tickets went on sale and we were like you know celebrating like whoop whoop like cheers and champagne and everything and then kind of we were like oh like yeah it would be nice to buy tickets for my mom and like for my friend and then we were everyone in the same room we were like oh wait there are no tickets anymore <laughs> we're like oh, oh no i didn't get my mom a ticket but also it sold out <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was kind of a positive problem in that moment <laughs> One final fan question. Uh, is it going to be crazy? Is it going to be party? What I can promise is like a very high energy party. UMK, I hope, is like kind of a a safe space for everyone to immer immerse in the Eurovision verse and kind of whether it's a longtime Eurovision fan or a, a new Eurovision curious person. Um but also just like in the middle of like the darkest winter, just like let your hair down and, and have fun. Yeah. So high energy, I can promise.
Oh, I loved that. That was a lot of fun. Uh, thank, big thank you to Matty for coming on our podcast. That was amazing. Um, so I guess the question is to you, William. I mean, you saw him from the very beginning. You were at UMK uh, National Selection last year. Have you seen the change? Was the change obvious for you over the past year? It was so interesting because the first time I watched that clip, I remember repeating the word over and over, memorable. That's so memorable. Whether you love it or hate it, you remember yeah. it. And that was sort of the most consistent thing about Garia's run is wherever he was, he stood out and you remembered him. He ripped off his shirt. I think it was Barcelona or Madrid, whichever party came first. We had this clip. It's been watched more than a million times on our YouTube shorts where he kind of rips off his shirt and it's all about body confidence. And he's out there showing and slaying and just being himself. And like that joy, that confidence stayed with him. You know, then at Eurovision in concert, actually, he was still joyous and happy. But you could tell he was more recognizable and more recognized, and it was starting to, not great, because he was very gracious, but he was very much aware that all eyes were on him at all times. And then by the time he came to the Lush Lounge event the first week in uh, Liverpool, I kind of felt bad for him, because he walked in the room and it was fantastic, people were losing it, but you could tell he had no time to himself. Like, everyone wanted a piece of Garia, and you start to feel guilty as a reporter or blogger. You're like, I'm actually contributing to this because I've asked him to come here to do an interview. But like, you know, he wanted to kind of share his love with the people. And that was just so beautiful. So to cut a long story short, I really did see the change. Someone anonymous and joyous to someone very much known. Like he was one of the biggest celebrities, you could say, in Liverpool. It's a small bubble, but he was up there with Lorraine. Those are the two big stars. He had a lot to deal with. And I think he handled it, handled it well because in public, he was always lovely. You know, I'm sure there were times at night when he just he's wanted to have a smoke, be alone, get a massage somewhere, <laughs> you know. And that's tough. That's tough going in the Eurovision bubble. But uh, well done to him for handling it so well. But, but anyways, Freddie, what about you? You were actually the delegation host, so you sort of spent time with him in a different capacity. Yeah, I did. I mean, I think what was really noticeable, and I uh, this is the first time I'd actually been at Eurovision, so I, I don't know. Maybe this is the same for all of them, but I think... Uh, I think it was very different for Finland specifically this year was that he was being pulled from every different angle. The interviews were stacked up. And I, I mean, I know that Eurovision acts are all popular, but he was like specifically very, very popular. And so the days were so long and so intense and so busy. And there were days where uh, we need to sort out a massage for Carrier. <laughs> Or, um... Are you a hands-on delegation host? <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily luckily for him, it wasn't me giving the massage. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you can see how it'd be really tough. But you you could see that even in Finland, just fo following on from social media, you can see the appearances everywhere and the crowd's just getting progressively bigger. And, like, he's doing kind of adverts and he's become just the momentum has continued from Liverpool and he's just become so, so, such a big star. But I do want to add just one thing. Um I am incredibly thankful to the Finnish team for letting me be their delegation host. Um, it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. And Carrier was very gracious. Even before he went on stage, he came around and hugged, every, for the final, I mean, he came around and hugged every single member of that team who was standing there, including me and the other two delegation hosts. It was just so incredibly sweet. Um, and he's an incredibly humble man. Um, and the party afterwards in the hotel was more than humble. Yeah, one of the standout moments on the journey was how he was allowed to close Eurovision in concert in Amsterdam. Usually that honor goes to the Dutch act, but they gave it to Caria. Oh, and I think that says a lot. About the Dutch act as well. <laughs> well hey, hey, no, <laughs> no tea, no shade. Funny enough, I, I arranged a massage for you in Liverpool. <laughs> we were covered oh in God, chocolate. No. <laughs> 
I know you were licking your arms. Oh, let's move on. You're trying to lick your back. <laughs> Sorry, but we should say that, you know, in terms of taking it in his stride, he did take it in his stride. And now he's able to kind of reflect on that. In fact, he spoke with our Simon Falk at Het Grote Song Festival Feast in Amsterdam recently. This is our most recent interview. It was filmed back in November. How has these last six months changed your life? It changed to you know all things. Uh, everywhere I, where I go, and people know me in Finland, and uh, I don't find a place where I can hide, you know. And uh, of course, I'm happy because this this is my dream. My dream uh, is uh, do the music and uh, performance, but uh, sometimes it's hard. Next time on what really happened at Eurovision. It's a really difficult song to sing. You're lying down and you're uh, singing in an airy voice. There was no chance, even though they told me just like, maybe like kind of try to belt it out a bit more. Like conceptually, when you're waking up from your really long sleep, you won't actually be Pavarotti, you know, like you're, you're going to be like... Uh. <laughs> Yep, that's what's coming up soon. If you like this podcast, feel free to subscribe. And be sure to follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest if you're actually there. <laughs> we'll see you later. <laughs> Bye. Bye.